for this next guest because not only does she have an amazing personal story to tell but I think a lot of what we'll talk about today is so relevant when we think about what we've been through over the last couple of years with some of the isolation of COVID and I think also just being really raw and authentic about what we feel and where we are and I think as someone who has a literary background as an author and really speaks to that idea of giving people their voice I'm super excited to introduce Kelly Coleman she started her teaching career 15 years ago at a private high school for young women in her hometown of Pittsburgh. And I have to identify with what put her on this journey and that she lost a bet with some of her students and ended up having to read the Twilight series. And I have to tell you, if you have ever read, for those of you listening who've read the Twilight series, these are monster books. They're, they're not small little volumes. And more importantly, I'll never forget reading all three of them with my daughter before the movie series started. And it really is something that when you think about the lead character, Bella, I think what struck Kelly, at least as she shared, is that this was sort of a one-dimensional damsel in distress. And it was, was nothing like the more complex kids that were in her classroom. So a few years later, she ventured out with her first young adult novel that was picked up and published, Yay Her!, um, but this novel really depicted teenagers in a more realistic way, really looking at everything that goes into being not only a teenager, but in our lives that deals with depression and eating disorders in a very raw and authentic way of what we face every day. So Kelly, like me, has been a moving gypsy over the last few years, uh, lived in multiple locations over two years, but she finally settled in Virginia. And she continues to teach at a high school and more importantly has created a blog during the pandemic to talk about a lot of the things we're not always so comfortable talking about when we talk about the world being a little more isolated and lonely. On Instagram, she focuses on great ways to live a healthy life, including things like gratitude journalings, plenty of time with her cute dog who, if I have anything to do with it, might speak up a little here or there in this interview today. And that's all good with us because we're all dog lovers over here. And reading poolside and trying her hand at yoga. By the way, there is no failing at yoga because the whole purpose is to not stress about it. But she's currently working to start her own store. You know, I'm totally into that piece called Preppy with a Boho Streak. I just love, she had me at Preppy with the streak. I love it. So Kelly, welcome to Bearskin with Celeste. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Same here. You know, it's, it's great to really look at how diverse your background is from teaching to being an author to looking at starting your own store, to writing a blog. I love that you are so busy with all of these things, but it kind of seems like all everything you do rotates around this kind of spirit of service. So tell me a little bit about where that passion comes from to put yourself out there in so many different venues and to really care about how you impact the lives of others. I think growing up, my parents really instilled like the value of donating what you have, whether that be time, money, clothes, anything to a cause. And we didn't grow up. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Both of my parents had full-time jobs and worked. And 
I'm so grateful for how much they put into me and my older sibling and it was everything. So I think seeing that they still made time for other people or made time to donate or to buy an extra sandwich of Panera for the guy on the corner really just stuck with me as I was growing up and then transitioned into my life as I realized, oh, I was really serious about playing teacher as a six-year-old. <laughs> this was going to become a career. <laughs> Well, when you look at it, I mean, I'd love to ask you, and I know, you know, this probably is something you get asked every day, especially with the pandemic. I can't imagine a more challenging time to be a teacher than these last couple of years. You know, what have you had to draw on to sort of, what have you seen change in your dynamic over the last couple of years as a teacher? And then more importantly, how do you sort of draw on the resources you need to persevere, you know, in some of the conditions we've been in over the last couple of years? I think, and I'm insanely grateful that for this, I've always had fantastic students. I've always had students who I loved, who were kind and just funny and doing their best. So that makes the job worth going to. Over the course of the pandemic, there are, of course, the challenges of virtual learning, but I made them keep their cameras on. I think I told them it was mandatory and it definitely wasn't. <laughs> I just didn't know that. Your secret is safe with us. Yeah. So they did keep their cameras on. So it was nice because I did really get to know them and meet them over the summer. I think the hardest part, and this is more so in the media than necessarily my interactions with parents, is teachers went from being heroes in around April of 2020 to teachers hate children and don't want to teach as the pandemic went on. And again, that's not the parents I'm interacting with, but it's on the news everywhere. Right. I know. But you know, when you think about that, you think about the separation between what's real and what gets portrayed out there. How do you help your young people navigate that? Because clearly they're learning from what they see in the media, the way that's reported to what the real world is. And do you talk about that? I mean, how do you help them bridge that gap between the reality of what they're living and what they're being told through media, you know? I think one of the things that's always helped me in my teaching career is I don't carry yesterday into today. And so, that's super helpful when you're working with teenagers because they make mistakes. I have apologized to my se senior high school English teacher for being a brat that year. It was her first year as a teacher. And I just look back and think, what did I do to this poor woman? So I think I do a lot of, I can be mad at you today and still love you as my students and we'll try this again tomorrow. <laughs> but I think that's super powerful. You know, when you think about, you know, your site, like one of my favorite quotes from your site is, I'm a human being who recognizes that I'm one big rough draft. I write because I can't imagine a world where I don't. So it kind of shares that sentiment you talked about where nobody's perfect, you know, we're kind of a work in progress. So I think when we look at that, and especially um, for those of you listening, um, you know, Kelly's written a book 
called Holding On and Letting Go. It's a young adult realistic fiction book that delves into topics like grief, depression, anorexia. You know, what we're talking about now really matters, right? Where kids are able to work through or walk through these seasons of their life and not feel like somehow they're defined by these single moments. So was that what inspired you to write your book? You know, what inspired you? And and when you talk about teaching, do you have an opportunity to share that side of yourself with your students? So I think a lesson maybe I wish I had learned when I was younger, although it might not have been possible when I was younger, is when I first started teaching, my first class was seniors when I was 22. So that's about a four year age difference. And so there had to be that wall between me and them because we were already so close in age. And I think for the first few years, especially of my career, I really held on to this idea that there needs to be some kind of space between us and you can't see my flaws and that's just being new to any career like it's insecurity like I was insecure about what I was doing at that point and as I've gotten older and been teaching for a longer amount of time I'm much more open about the fact that oh no I'm very messy I will make mistakes and my life is not perfect (laughs) Well, and I think that's such an important message for them, isn't it? Um, Because they do sort of look up and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, growing up and thinking, I can't let my parents see things that don't work because my parents are perfect. Like they don't make these kinds of mistakes. And then as I got older, you kind of, everybody falls off their ivory tower and you're like, oh man, (laughs) I see where I got that from. Um, But, you know, I think that piece of being more, able to embrace yourself, the good and the bad and the learning and the things that you do is sort of part of that maturity, right? But I think when you look at at what you're doing with your books and all that stuff, you know, what is it, what's that process like to sort of take your life lessons that you're living, but then convert them into something that someone else reads or, or that you want to engage someone else in? So I think with holding on and letting go, it started out as I read Twilight and it was pure misery for me. I took a red pen to it. I was just fixing the grammar. There's one book where Bella, the months just pass by, I believe on pages because without Edward, she can't function. And I'm teaching these dynamic young women who are so smart and athletic and strong and resilient. And I'm looking at this book and I'm looking at them wondering, why are you reading this? Mm -hmm. And so that's what propelled me into writing. But then where the story comes from is when I was 25, I had strep for eight months without realizing it. So I knew I had it, took the course of the antibiotic, then went off and lived my life. And about eight months later, I was crying all the time. My hair was falling out. I was exhausted. I was barely getting through the school day awake. And it took doctors so long to figure out that I just never cleared strep. And I ended up having to get my tonsils and everything out. And 
part of that, it was knowing that I'd have to take hormone medications and thyroid medications that wouldn't necessarily allow for a pregnancy. So I was 25, not married. I didn't know if I wanted kids at that point in my life. And I felt very robbed that that choice had been taken away from me. While I'm also depressed from strep, just stripping through my hormones. And so I think the grief and the depression that comes out in holding on lingo was my way of processing that in a way that's more geared toward young adults because I didn't necessarily want to be the center of my own story. And I would say there are pieces of my personality in every character I write, but none are entirely based off of me. But it was my way of dealing with grief and kind of moving on from that chapter and then realizing I should be talking about the fact that I went through depression instead of hiding it. I agree. And I think, you know, it's amazing that we're in 2022 and there still is a stigma, you know, to acknowledging that we all go through things. I mean, granted, I appreciate that everyone may have different levels of experience, but, you know, to for anyone to say they don't have challenges, you know, in their lives is, is just not being open and honest, right? So, I think that's the thing I learned through, I have a daughter and, you know, she definitely in her life, and she'll say, you know, has had anxiety, depression. Um, and, you know, it's so important to be able to be honest with the people you love and ask for help or to say, hey, you know, I'm feeling, I feel this way, what can I do? I think just feeling like it's okay to trust and telling others what you're going through so you don't have to go through that alone or feel isolated is so important and I see that so much, especially now because when I look at, when we talk about 15 years ago, Kelly, when you first were teaching versus, you know, Zoom forward to today, when you think about social media and then add that to COVID isolation, you know, it's probably escalated. I don't know the statistics exactly, but I mean, escalated and emphasized so many of these things, hasn't it? Well, also I think I mean, I will always have lifelong anxiety that is just going to be there. But growing up, even for me, that was called being like high strung or sensitive. The terminology just wasn't there. And it wasn't until maybe two years after I went through depression that I really started talking about with even my friends. My family knew, my husband knew, and that was about it. And I didn't realize how many of my friends had been through it or on medication for it or were currently talking to a psychiatrist as well or a therapist as well. And those are people that I love, I'm close with, I would do anything for and vice versa, but we still feel that need to kind of hold in the problems. So as a teacher, I get the chance to use things like Catcher in the Rye to talk about okay we're not gonna call holden insane or crazy because that's not the real terminology he is having a breakdown and suffering from depression and i've gone through depression so we're really not going to call him crazy because it's insulting to people to do that and then 
Normally, I have a couple kids linger by my desk after that first introduction to Catcher in the Rye and start asking questions about, well, how did you know or what did you do? But see, that's so powerful, though, don't you think, when you think about how you're using literature as a way to actually have have a dialogue that's even more relevant personally and start that dialogue with these guys or finding out they're not alone, right? I, I have to share that, you know, in the last couple of years, um, I've had more than one, but one of a really close friend committed suicide and, you know, really shame on all of us who were her friends because it really did feel like it came out of nowhere. And you think about what it has to be like to live with that and to have no one close to you know, you know, or understand what you're, the kind of pain you're going through. And, um, and you know, for the people that survive, for me personally, there's a guilt that you have of why didn't I know? Why didn't I know to help her? Why didn't I ask more? Why weren't I more insistent to understand? And I think that, you know, for me, it's just alerted me that you just don't know where someone else is in their life and you can't judge. And to your point, you know, if it's, quote, high, strong, sensitive, there's something going on that's beyond that, that we should understand, you know, or be compassionate or understanding of. So, or engage and ask, you know, so I think it's hard because I've been through my own life lesson of, of realizing, wow, where was I, you know, that I didn't know these things ahead of time and, you know, how do you do it? So I think it's so important to have a, a free zone <laughs> where it's okay to share things that you might otherwise feel embarrassed or intimidated or afraid to share, you know? And I mean, I don't think you should feel guilty to that effect because I mean I know for myself my psychiatrist diagnoses me as a high functioning severely depressed person and I had suicidal thoughts but I was still going through the day as though things were fine making jokes because I didn't want people to know and I was able to hold it down long enough that I could function through the day or I could get through different events that I needed to get through. And then as soon as it was done, my energy would be sapped and you can hide it if you really want to, but you shouldn't. So I think maybe that's the takeaway that I've gotten from that is that I want people to know that it's okay to not be okay to say that out loud and to get help. And I think too that, you know, especially writing, like you said, it was sort of, um, I don't know if cathartic is the right word, but it gave you a place to sort of work through those emotions. You know, I can't imagine when you write, it's got to be a very emotional process, I would think, as you work through that and, you know, or to feel what you're putting into these characters. Can you talk about that a little bit? It absolutely is. I don't think I could have written that book while I was going through depression. I think that having it and writing it simultaneously would have been too much for me. And so it was as I was nearing the end of it and coming out the other side that I felt, okay, 
let me start to process the past couple years, which I didn't see coming because up until then there was no sign that it would be coming. And, you know, we all have this image of what depression looks like. And I look like the girl next door, which isn't necessarily the image most people associate with it. But to your point about things being emotional, I lost my dad five years ago to cancer. And I still am not ready to write about that. I'll occasionally start a piece and then just switch to something else because I'm not ready. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so hard, right? Grief is its own its own wave. I call it waves because it just does that, right? I mean, one day you're handling and the next day you're drowning in it. You know, it's hard to, and it, it, I don't think it ever goes away. It just kind of has different ebbs and flows, you know, um, of how we're affected. But one thing I'll share just because, you know, I think this is so powerful what we're talking about across the board, but, you know, I was somebody that I've always been, quote, if someone describes me, highly optimistic, always, you know, the glass is half full kind of person is how I think other people would describe me. Um, But, you know, for myself, you know, I had a period in my life where I was at, I was in a personal place where my career was probably the best it had ever been in terms of where I was as a woman in a man's environment in the high tech world what I was being paid, the kind of lifestyle I lived, all of those kinds of things. And I I think it was the loneliest time in my life, honestly, if I were to look back. And I remember I was in Dallas, Texas, going to the airport, and I'm in my car, and I'm going over this overpass, and it was snowing really hard, and it was people were sliding on the road because they had black ice. And I remember thinking in that moment, I could just put the pedal down and just go off the edge and no one would know the difference. It would just be another accident in the snow, you know. And you have this moment where you think like that because you kind of think, I just I just want out of this. I want out of what I'm feeling, you know. And luckily for me, you know, that was a moment in time. And for me, it what it, what it did was it made me take... Uh, an inventory of where I was and say, if I'm really there, then I need to really change what I'm doing because this is not good. You know what I mean? And um, so it really set me on what I'm doing today and my whole life and all these changes. And obviously there was a lot more to it than that. But the bottom line is that I think all of us, you know, if we're completely honest, I would never have shared that with anyone or said, this is what went through my head because I would be afraid of what people would think about me. I would be afraid of whether they thought I could handle my job or whether, you know what I mean? All of those things that go through your head and um, especially that long ago. I mean, that was 20 something years ago, you know, 30 years ago. Um, So I think about that and just, you know, realize it that all of us there's nobody from the outside that would have seen that or thought that other than me and even that thought surprised me you know what I mean that that's where I was I think that's why I had to to really sit down and look at it and go are you really that unhappy are you really that isolated that you can't share any thoughts with anyone else you know and so I think I I think for you it's like that's why I think your book is so important and what you do with your kids because you know, everything needs to be a place that's like those two kids standing by your desk who that moment was an opportunity to maybe share something that's been weighing on them for so long. Sometimes just the simple, are you okay? 
with teenagers does the trick because they're more open than adults are. They haven't quite built up the same level of walls that adults have when it comes to, no, I need to be professional. I need to maintain this appearance. Sometimes if you catch them in a moment and just say, are you okay? You realize, no, we need to talk and we need to bring more parties with more knowledge than me into this conversation. I totally agree. I think, you know, when you think about what you're doing now, I mean, when you think about when you go back into the classroom, I mean, how has writing been able to impact one, you as as a teacher for these young minds and these young souls, but also how do you help your kids? I mean, like you did with Catcher in the Rye, how do you use tools that help them develop their own voice and their own identity? So in terms of writing, Obviously, I teach AP Lit. I've taught in 11th grade, which has its own standardized test, and they need certain things in those to pass. It just is what it is. But there are other opportunities, college essays, this I believe essays that I've done, where I just say, be yourself, because I can always pull you back on word count or emotion, but I can't push emotion or words out of you. So just encouraging them to be brutally honest. And sometimes that means being brutally honest about a time when I did something very stupid or made a dumb mistake. Or I've even told them that I still have anxiety and panic attacks. And it's kind of a double-edged sword because on one hand, it's terrible. Don't recommend it. <laughs> on the other hand, and my psychiatrist and I have talked about this, I probably wouldn't be as successful as I am without it because I don't have just a plan A. I have plan B, C, D, E <laughs> thought up because my anxiety forces me to do it. So I try to have talks with them too that you're more than the trauma you faced. So Yes, I have anxiety, but I'm more than anxiety. Or I've had depression in the past, but that doesn't define who I am. That doesn't get to be the defining factor in who I am. And I guess the last question I'd have, and I ask this kind of as, not kind of, but as a parent, you know, just, I would imagine that for a lot of the kids, it may be easier to talk to you than it is to their parent. I mean, you may be a safer zone in some ways, you know? I... I think, and I teach kids whose parents are just great across the board, but I mean, I remember being in high school. I remember wanting to go out with my friends as much as humanly possible and avoiding the hard topics with my parents because I didn't want them to know, them to know I was sad over a boy or something like that. So... I don't want to say I can't even imagine being a parent and the amount of worrying and everything that goes into it because I'm just their teacher and I think they might be giving me recalls at this point. Yeah. And by the way, you're not just their teacher, but yes, I get the point. Yeah. But I try to really stay in their lives after graduation, not necessarily in a, well, you need me. No, the goal is for you not to need me, actually. But 
to be a sounding board or if they are going through something and normally they talk to their parents as well and I'll ask that question does your mom know that this is going on or have you reached out to this person in your life who is kind of their support system but I also keep in touch with probably 90% of the kids that I've taught over the course of the past 15 years and sometimes it's just great catching up and jokes and remembering good moments. And sometimes it's talking about what it's like to be a young woman in a society where only 20% are female leaders. And I think that's such an important thing. I, I say this only because I was just talking with someone the other day. So in my past life, I was vice president of Compact Computer uh, worldwide, and I was really the only woman at, at that time in that role. And I fast forward to today, and we're in 2022, and I was looking at the number of women that are CEOs, and it's still less than 1%. And I think about that in today's world, now I'm talking now about larger organizations, et cetera, but I think about the fact that how can that be, you know, when we comprise 60% of the workforce? (laughs) I don't understand that. So when I look at that, it's crazy that we're still in a world. But to your point, my only reason for saying that is I think somehow a lot of people perceive that things are more open today, that young women have better opportunities, more of a chance because there's a social, there's a media aspect that lets voices be heard, but it doesn't change the dynamic of what it takes to be successful in an organization or a business world and fighting those preconceived legacies, you know? So I think it's so important for young women to have a place to feel empowered, you know? I think there's kind of a myth around the glass ceiling that once one person from this group gets to this position, the ceiling is shattered. No, the ceiling has kind of got a crack in it. You need to get a whole bunch more people through that ceiling for it to actually shatter. So, I mean, I remember after Obama got elected and everyone was like, well, equality achieved. And I thought, are you serious right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this, having the same thought when Kamala Harris was elected as vice president and everyone was like, first female vice president, that's great, but that doesn't mean we're anywhere near equality. Well, and, that, and we're having that dialogue today, right? About the next Supreme Court justice being you know, a black female. And believe me, I'm so supportive and want that to take place. But to your point, it does just check a box like, okay, we're there, check, you know, it really is. And I'm living example, having had that position that, you know, it it doesn't change a whole hundred year culture. You know, it's something that is a work in progress, just like we are to evolve because so many thoughts and behaviors and processes are learned and we have to sort of unlearn those. because they're they're systemic, you know, and so you and I don't think pe- I think people think that word means that you're doing it purposefully. I think sometimes we forget how much is just shape shifted into us that we don't even realize. And 
I think this is as recent as maybe two to three years ago. And her family's fantastic. I know all of them. I love all of them. But I had a female student who essentially started every time she talked with, I'm sorry for talking. And I was like, please quit doing that. You do not need to apologize for having an opinion or for speaking up. I know. And but we're taught to do that. I know I was taught to do that and that that's a habit that I had to try to break or, you know, making myself more compact because I shouldn't take up space. Right, or even thinking, and I still do this today, I promise, because I'm on the board of different organizations and companies and in many cases, I am a female on a board of mostly men, right? And I do think about what I say. In other words, I have to put energy into making sure that the way that I say it is going to be dressed up in a way, whereas there's other people sitting there that can just say what they're thinking, just spit it out, and nobody perceives them (laughs) as, you know, being domineering or anything like that. Whereas if we say something forceful with and just kind of share our thoughts, then, you know, it's perceived as being brash or, you know, bitchy (laughs) so i think it's all about i mean i just love how we get labeled bitchy and they're passionate you know oh i've been called brash aggressive and every time i think i even made a list of like translation male to female it's abrasive assertive (laughs) right and i think that's why for young women you know it is so important i mean I feel really empowered because I own my own company and I will say we are 99.9% female and not because I don't think there's qualified men. I'm not working in reverse, but just so happens every time I interview someone, the most qualified candidate is this amazing female. (laughs) And I love that I'm surrounded by really strong women and it creates a great environment. And I would argue that the men who work in our organization are very happy because they feel like, you know, we have a very uh, cohesive environment. And, you know, I think the women are really open and bring the men in and, you know, really, it's not the reverse of like shutting them out, you know, and I feel like women are amazing leaders. They're amazing facilitators just naturally because of that. To your point, remember when you said like, you're, uh, that you're, your anxiety works in your favor sometimes with all your list, A, B, C, D, E, you know? Well, for us, or your backup plans. For us, I think that what also works in our favor is that idea of having to sort of walk on eggshells sometimes or how to position, because we've learned to be sensitive and read the room, you know, about who's around us and what they are, and to, to be better facilitators, to bring people in and to make sure they're heard. and. I think that makes for amazing leaders. And I feel like we have a future generation, hopefully, of amazing female leaders that will go a long way to bridging the gap and the divisiveness and the other things people are concerned about. I think that's why I'm not as concerned. I look at it and I go, we have young women that are gonna step up and fill those gaps. I just wanna live long enough to see it all. <laughs> that's, I have been teaching long enough now that my students are out of college, some like out of med school or out of law school at this point, which just makes me feel old. But seeing them step into these roles in STEM and all of these different jobs is so amazing to see. 
because every person who's breaking through in that field is another crack in the ceiling that hopefully will shatter at some point in my lifetime. But to your point, I do think women tend to be more self-aware of what they're saying in public. I think about, am I phrasing this as a question or a statement? Because women tend to phrase things as questions because that's just how we're raised. I'm more aware that I don't get to be sensitive in public necessarily because if I cry, I'm weak. If a male cries, he's in touch with his emotions. And it's just a very fine line to walk that you almost have to be aware of. Yeah, and absolutely. And the other part is, you know, if there's anything I hope we can translate to our new generation of women is also the importance of supporting one another. Because in many cases, if you look at social media and what happens there, the snarkiness and kind of the mean girl scenario, you know, it's something where the only way that we get to a place where women have the equity, and, and I'm not just talking women now, anyone who is in a class that is somehow not uh, perceived at an equitable level, the only way we all get to a place of equity is when we all support each other. And men have just learned early on, that's why they call it the good old boys club, but they learned early <laughs> on that whether they liked each other or not, whether there was a brotherhood of supporting one another. And that goes a long way. And women, on the other hand, have often been seen as competitive to one another for those very few spots that are there. And so, you know, we always haven't had, you know, as much support from other women. So I think, you know, what I've always shared with my daughter, the people that I work with, you know, the more that we can empower each other, we all rise, you know, and I think that's something that in this moment in time, that message of unity is so important. I think, well, I know of my high school friends that I'm still close with, three are doctors. Of my college friends that I'm close with who are women, one's a lawyer, one is the PR person for an entire school district. And I love that because it challenges me to up my game and to bring something to the table. And I'm so proud of them for what they've accomplished and getting to the roles that they've and jobs that they've gone to at this point, because it's amazing. And it's just an honor being their friend. Absolutely. And think about how much you learn. I mean, I think about this all the time. I've surrounded myself with people that I just thrive on you know, living vicariously, I'm learning as they're learning and they're growing. And I feel energized by that. And I feel like, you know, my life is made richer because my friends are successful and I get to watch that and see it and to take little kernels from that, which is really awesome. So I, I wish that for every woman and I wish every woman, you know, all of us to get to a place where we see that someone else advancing isn't lowering our position it's them carrying us with them which is really huge i totally agree that some me telling another woman she's beautiful or that she's smart or that she's kind doesn't it take away from my own intelligence beauty or kindness it's just adding positivity in a time where there's a lot more negativity going around 
Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, one last thing, because I know we're, it's it's amazing how fast time goes. I know. But... I feel like I haven't answered any of your questions, to no, be honest. No, you, you've been amazing. And this <laughs> has been, no, honestly, I think we have to do part two. But I want you to share with us wandering thoughts. Talk about your blog. Please tell talk about where people can find your blog. Um, because I really thoroughly enjoy, you know, what you're doing. And I want to share that with others. So tell us a little bit of wandering thoughts and then tell us a bit how someone can follow you, follow along on your blog. So um, they can follow it at kacoleman.org. And it started out as a compilation of not only me posting, but my friends also posting, sometimes with their names, sometimes anonymous. And what was very cool to see when I went down this little avenue of adventure during the pandemic was there, I learned so much about my friends who I've known for 30, 20, 15 years. There was always something there that was like, oh, did not know that, which adds to the idea that we really do do a great job of keeping secrets. But the other thing that I noticed was, and I've passed these words along every time I've gotten them, someone sending a message that was just like, this is what I needed to read today because I had my life planned out too and it did not go as planned. And I don't think many of ours do. I don't know if any of ours do, to be honest. And so just moving into that kind of space of we're not perfect. Nobody is perfect. We got to some of these lessons from making a whole bunch of mistakes and others because the world was like, not today, my friend. Here's a different route. Good luck. See what happens. So focusing on the fact that mistakes are part of the process of growing up and the older I get, the more I'm like, I'm an idiot. I don't know how I've survived this long because I know nothing. And part of coming into that, and we spoke briefly about me wanting to go into a clothing line, is the pandemic gave me too much time. I'm someone who does better with not much time. So I made the blog during the pandemic because I didn't want people to feel so isolated and alone. I wasn't living alone, gratefully through the pandemic, but I can imagine how terrible that would be. But I still was alone with my thoughts quite a bit, which it's for me, writing not is as good. <laughs> writing yeah. is cathartic. It kind of makes sense of my thoughts. Like as they take shape, I'm like, oh, okay. I see where all this is coming from. But as I was doing that, I was also thinking about things like, well, where is my money going when I buy things? Are, like, what do these businesses that I'm buying from support? Are they donating back to communities? Are they donating to groups that are known for hating other groups? And so as I was doing that, and this is just always going to be important to me, I wanna see and support women run businesses and brands so part of thinking about like starting a clothing store was one i prefer to work with mainly women owned brands because i want to support other women and two i'd also like to support 
causes or brands that do social good. So there are many great wholesalers I'm working with and I've spent maybe the last year reaching out and finding out various causes and what they do, how much goes back into the communities because that matters to me as I get older and I spend more time thinking about it. And then the third reason is around 36, I've realized that my choices for clothing seem to be terrible forever 21 things that should <laughs> never have existed for me. <laughs> and mom holiday sweatshirts, which I'm not wearing to wear in a non-ironic manner at this point in my life. <laughs> I agree. It's I think it's finding that place. Hey, I will be make your online store so I can shop from you. That's really it's cool. my aim is to have it created next week. I'm actually having a former student who is now in like the beauty business and she models. She's gorgeous, which is fantastic because she was a lacrosse player during high school and just never wore an ounce of makeup ever. And she's helping me with picking some of the pieces. That's so cool. I love it. I you do have, too. You have but, to send me the link and you have to let me know because I'll share it with everybody and we'll put it on. But so we can support you in supporting other amazing businesses. But do you find, how do you kind of navigate? It seems to me like just clothing itself because it comes in like small, medium, large, you know, all this like just seems like you'd have to have a lot of inventory or, you know, kind of bet on the pieces that you love. I don't know, for me, I kind of think, ooh, I don't know if I could do that, you know? I think I'm starting at a smaller level. Like I'm obviously not ready to open like a brick and mortar store, especially where I live. I live in Loudoun County, which is a suburb of DC that is super expensive. I can't even imagine how much rental would be a store near me. So starting small and really picking the causes that matter most and working with those businesses to talk about why I'm picking them and how I can feature them across blog and also tell their story on my shop rather than just have 80 different pieces for sale. It'll be smaller, but it'll be more focused. Yeah, and I think curation is what everybody's doing now. You know, I think everybody is curating those things that mean something to them, that matter to them. You know, I see it in our own business. You know, I own a skincare company and we make skincare products, but about a third of our revenues go back into the community and various causes and things that we support. I We're based here in San Diego, so we're on the border of Mexico. And believe it or not, human trafficking um, we are the number one human traffic city in the United States. Oh my gosh. Um, and a lot of that has happened more recently because of the border issues and the fact that there are more children and single women coming across, minors that are unaccompanied, you know, and so forth. And so it just leaves themselves open to a lot of unfortunate scenarios that happen. And so that's really driven a high increase. But what's cool is our DA locally is a woman, and her name is Summer Stephan. She's amazing. But she has been a big advocate for education among our communities. As you see now, every airport has signage where the staff has been trained to look for this and where they're training hotel staff and they're training all of these people and they're helping to intercept and help these kids and young adults. 
Um, and it's girls and boys, you know, it's, it's everyone. So, you know, it's a reality in our community. So for me, it's a cause that means a lot because, you know, unfortunately, foster children seem to be uh, a, someone they prey upon as well as others. So it's just something that getting in, if you care about your community, you really want to be part of, you know, education and help and all of those. But there's just so many causes and things. And as a business, just every year trying to decide where, it's not a matter of where, it's like, I just, I wish I could do something for every group. You know, it's having to vet and rotate where we support because you, I would love to give to more. Sometimes you just have a limit to what you can do, you know. I I think I would fall into the same category as you were. I've kind of had to really make a list of, okay, where do I want to spend the most amount of time and money? And that's mental health for me, um, women's issues, and then I haven't even launched a store. I will be this week, later this week. But I've already thought to the point of, I don't want to see clothes thrown away. I'd rather see them donated to local shelters and that I would rather give people percentage off if they donate in the future than just toss or clothes away because sustainability and the environment, that matters. Oh, absolutely. And also those people that receive it are so thankful, you know, to have it. I mean, we did a clothing drive here last year and the number one thing that people asked for were socks and sweaters, you know, because they're cold and they don't have the basics to stay warm, you know, and you just think about how we are with, oh, this sock has a hole and throw it over. I don't like the way that looks. Let's throw it out. Or here's a big thing I'm going to put in a plastic bag and put in the dumpster, you know, and it's just so sad because you look at how this repurposed, these repurposed pieces can be an amazing gift to someone, you know. So I I think I applaud you for that. So last but not least, I have a couple of, because we have two more minutes. I want to ask, we always say burning question round. Don't okay. worry, there's no there's no right or wrong answers. But it's just really more things that I think people have burning questions that now that we've gotten to know you a little bit better. So what's your favorite book that you've ever read? Okay, so I obviously have a soft spot for Catcher in the Rye, but I'm also going to put The Silent Patient and My Year of Rest and Relaxation on there. Okay, Silent Patient, I have not read, but I'm intrigued. So It's a thriller and... Everyone I've recommended it to has liked it, including the students I teach who have learned to hate reading. <laughs> I love it, though. Okay, so I'm definitely going to try that one. Um, what's your morning routine? I know that you said you're very simplistic, but like, what is what is the morning and the life of Kelly? The morning is I hit my snooze button as many times as possible or until some, my husband tells me, are you going to work today? <laughs> And then, I mean, the nice part about masking up is that I really just put mascara on in the morning and I'm like, that's good. I love it. I love that simplicity. It's amazing. Coffee or tea? Both, but I only like them iced. I don't like hot drinks. I'm with you. I do. I actually have an iced one on my desk right now. Um, music or a podcast? Generally music. I like the true crime podcast, but I think my husband listens to so many sports ones that I'm just 
I've learned to auto tune it out. So music by far. And I actually saw one of your posts where you were singing in your car. Oh, that started because I joined a very bougie gym where they take it very seriously and like everyone's ponytail is perfect. Their outfits are all matching. And so like I would get to the gym and I'd be sitting in my car and I'd be like, I can't get out right now. My favorite song came on. <laughs> I love it. it. Just me putting it off for another minute. I love it. I love it. And I know the answer to this last one. I already know just because... I got a little insight because I can actually see into your home. Cats or dogs? Dogs, 100%. I'm allergic to cats, but I've always been a dog person. I can't imagine not having one. I am with you, sister, a thousand percent dog person. Well, Kelly, I've got to say thank you so much of giving us the gift of you and your time. And I also want to thank you as one woman to another for helping to shape our next generation. But also I think everything you shared today is powerful for everyone listening. So thank you for being so vulnerable and open. I think it's a, a real gift. So thank you. thank you for doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. I can't wait to uh, tune in more to Wandering Thoughts. And I want to get, get the link to your store because we're gonna share it with everyone because we wanna support you, support women who are doing cool things. And I apologize for the 20 tangents I went on during the course okay, wait. of this. Okay, Miss, I had a student who started the statement, I'm sorry. No. Um, by the way, tangents are what we are, right? But, but can <laughs> I tell you, some of the best things we talked about were in the tangents. So let's stay with that. But anyway, thank you so much for your time. I'm thank gonna... you for having me. And also, by the way, for everyone listening, thank you so much for joining Bearskin with Celeste. And remember, be kind, do good or do your best.